0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary Owen with the Get Some Podcast. My guest this week uh, killed me in one movie and then brought me back to life in the sequel. Uh, Dion Taylor has a movie out right now that I'm in uh, called The House Next Door, AKA Meet the Blacks. Dion, what's up? What's
1: happening, man? How you doing?
0: I'm good. You're, uh, you're moving out of Sacramento? Or are you just moving to another house in Sacramento? No,
1: we're just moving to another house, man. I'm in the, in the process of moving, which sucks, but it's all good, man.
0: You're a lot like me. Like You're in the entertainment business, but you're not in LA. Like, your home base is in LA.
1: Yeah, I, um, yeah I've never lived in LA. Um, I think LA is a really cool place to work, uh, but I just have never seen myself living there. I think it's a really good place to work, though. <laughs> but you grow, did you grow up in Sacramento? No, no. I grew up in Gary, Indiana, so I'm from the I'm from obviously the Gary, Indiana, Chicago area. Uh, I only came to Sacramento my last year in high school. Uh, just for a moment, I was a, a, a blue chip All American uh, playing basketball, and the coach recruited me. And my mom at the time it was so bad where I was living at, we had to get up out of there, man. So Sacramento, she knew someone that lived in in this area. And uh, they were like, yeah, he could come sleep on the couch. And the coach was like, yeah, we could take care of him. And that's kind of how I got to California. The rest of my family is still resides in the Gary, Indiana, and Chicago area.
0: So you was a hooper like that?
1: I'm still a hooper like that.
0: Oh, my fault. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. My fault. How stupid of me.
1: <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, I still I still play, man. I, I You know, I just... I think once you grow up on something and it's, it becomes part of your DNA, you don't, you know, I know a lot of guys that stop playing, but then, you know, I'm one of the guys that still play all the time. My dad told me a long time ago, once you stop, you will never be able to get going again. So I kind of took that advice and I've, I've always just kind of stayed on the court, no matter how old I've been or what I'm
0: doing. So how does a guy that grows up in Gary, Indiana, moves to Sacramento, uh for athletics basketball how do you end up becoming a director <laughs> that's, man that's crazy that's completely two different uh fields
1: two different worlds man you know what I, I don't know um it's something i get asked a lot uh you know growing up man in in the environments that we grow up in uh we we often become big dreamers um but a lot of times we don't often get to realize what those dreams are. Uh, for me, I was very fortunate, man. I was able to use basketball as a, you know, as a vehicle to kind of escape the world that we're in, you know, the world of poverty and violence and, you know, all the things that we grow up with. And uh, the game actually was very good to me, man. I was able to go play professionally overseas. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I've always been a fan of was movies. And not in a million years, man, did I ever think that I would, be a film director. But what happens is I go to Germany. I'm playing in East Germany at the time and uh, I don't speak the language and I'm over there doing a a season and uh, it's middle winter. All the TVs are broadcasting in German. And uh, at the time, uh, my girlfriend at the time, which was Roxanne, was like sending me movies. All I would do is go to practice and watch movies. And uh, I would go through, I could go through three movies in a night. So, you know, 10, 15 movies a week. And I'm waiting for more movies to come. This is before Netflix and all this cool stuff we got now. So I ended up watching like the making of on these DVD, uh, the bonus features. And as I was watching the bonus features, I became fascinated with how movies are made. And um, this is going to sound crazy, but I was like, I got an idea for a movie. And I remember like getting a Me tablet and started writing the first idea down. And I was like in the off season, I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to pitch this idea. I had no idea that that idea, that thought, that moment in time would actually be something that would take me out of basketball and take me on a journey for the rest of my life. And this happened 15 years ago, man, um, that I'd you know, sought out. So I'm a self-taught writer, self-taught filmmaker, self-taught pro- uh, producer. And uh, here we are, man, now, you know, 15 years later with arguably the biggest independent production company in hollywood and you know some of the coolest movies the last couple of years
0: how what was the first movie you um directed
1: so i wrote this film called 75 which was a horror movie uh wrote and directed it i worked with this brother that was incredible at the time named brian hooks you might know him from the movie three strikes um he was brian hooks b hooks yeah so brian at the time was making like He was just kind of doing independent film, him and his partner and they were making straight to DVD movies. People don't really know what that means anymore, but he was like making very small movies for $20,000, $100,000, $250,000. And these movies were like going to blockbuster and like just blowing up. And uh, he was the first person that I went to and I said, man, I got an idea for a film. He was like, oh man, I know how to do that. And uh he was one of the first people that I learned from that I was able to see how it works. I remember visiting one of his movie sets and seeing him act in the movie, uh be behind the camera of the movie, do craft services for the movie. I was like, damn, this is crazy doing all this stuff. And little did I know, you know, three, four years later that,
0: you know, I would be doing the same exact thing he was doing. So we we you called me randomly, what probably was that two thousand thirteen that Meet the Blacks, was that when you first called me or was it 14? We shot it, at, we shot it at 15.
1: I called you around 2014, 15, somewhere in there.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was, I don't know what the budget was on that. Uh, <laughs> was that your first, like, theatrical release?
1: No. So uh, I had already, I had, before that, this is a crazy story, man. You should, you should actually know this story because it's pretty dope. So I had already made a couple of films before Meet the Blacks. And I had made a, you know, uh, a really, really just an incredible true life story, a movie called Supremacy that starred Mahershala Ali, Danny Glover, Layla Roshan, Evan Ross, Joe Anderson, uh, Don Olivier. Just a 16 millimeter low down, dirty, true story about a white supremacist who invades a house. And um, I had made this film we had went to festivals. I think we went to LA Film Festival. We won there. We, you know, we got uh, brought in to Sundance to actually debut the film as a trailer and the movie there. It was just like this whole roller coaster ride. And you know, obviously, when you make these types of films, they're 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 well received. Um, the problem that I had is after I finished the film, I couldn't find distribution for the movie, and that had been an ongoing thing for me for like the last two or three projects that I had made. Like we make these great films and then we can't find distribution. So I was in a point of my life around that time, 2015, where I was like, man, I quit. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to do it no more because we keep raising money. We're putting our heart and soul into these films. And then we make these movies and then I can't find out how to get the hell, the movies into the, into the people's hands. And, um, right around that time, a movie was coming out called The Purge. And uh, I remember being like, damn, I can't wait to see this film. I'm going to be first in line. That's the type of guy I am. I'm like, Thursday night, late night screen, I'm going to see it. And I went to see The Purge. And uh, I went to like a, a black, like a ghetto area. I'm in the, I'm in the movie theater because I love watching the movie at this particular theater. And I remember like right when the horn came on, the lady behind me was like, oh, shit, they finna get their ass. And I'm like, and I kept turning around like, "Yo," so So by, by 30 minutes into the film the whole theater talking and I'm talking too. Cause I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like 24 hours to kill somebody. And, uh, I remember leaving there walking and I got, you know, just had this idea like, man, you know, it'd be funny as hell. if we had like a, like a black purge. Like what would black people do in that situation? Shortly after that, man, I got invited to go to a, a comedy show where Mike Epps was at, And Mike was like, man, dude, I want to do one of them comedy movies, man. Like, what's up? And I'm like, I want to do a horror movie. And I was like, Mike, you can't do no horror movie, man. And I remember being like, damn, I left there and thought about it. And that's where Meet the Blast came from. I remember, like, coming up with the idea. I was like, man, it'd be really funny. Uh, At the time, we didn't have no money. And I was just kind of, like, on this trajectory where I was doing very serious. You know, I was into the horror space. I was into like true life dramas, like the one I had just shot with Supremacy. I had never done anything comedy wise. I was like, oh, this could be funny. And this idea just stayed with me. And um, we had a million dollars, man. And we went, got Mike. Mike was a blessing to me, man, because he was like, man, I'm gonna come do it. He came on board as a producer. He came on as a partner with us. And uh, we just started making a bunch of phone calls. You were one of the phone calls. Uh, Charlie Murphy was a friend of mine. Called Charlie. I remember I met Little Duval for the first time, calling him on the phone, and uh, I just had this really cool idea that you know I thought could be fun. And if you don't remember, we shot that movie in what twelve days, and um, you came and and me and you collabed really well, man. You were just a blessing to have, and we found the red skull, and yeah, the rest was history, man. And 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 then true to form, we finished that movie. And I'm like, all right, what is this gonna be? We edit the film, and I remember sitting in the editing bay, like, yo, this is funny as hell. So all my friends was like, yo, this is hella funny. Like, we like laughing at the movie. We go back to Hollywood, Hollywood wouldn't give us no distribution again. So I'm like, yo, this now this is funny. Now it's got Mike Epps, Mike Tyson, Gary Owen, Little Duval, Charlie Murphy, and we still can't find a distribution deal. Like, what's going on? And uh, finally, we decided, man, which this, you know, obviously this idea and this move changed my entire life. Uh, We decided that we would self-release the movie and put it out theatrically by ourselves and not wait for Hollywood to give us a a deal, not wait for someone to deem us, you know, good enough to give a deal to. And uh, we bet the house on ourselves, man. We took the movie out. We put it out on, I think, 600 screens. We spent two three million dollars whatever it was man we we got the money for robert smith he gave us the pna we took the film out and the movie opened number three in the world and the
0: rest was history did now is my memory correct the it was a limited release right It, it it dropped for two weeks in the theater and then it got pulled and then it went it was like i don't know i don't know was it available for download was it netflix right after that so I remember it was, only, it was in the theaters for like two weeks, right?
1: No, no. We stayed in theaters for a while. We opened up against... Netflix wasn't even around. We opened up against Batman versus Superman. The movie stayed in the box office. It ended up... 2016 ended up becoming... I think it was... Um, we were either tied or we had the highest per screen average of the entire year. It was only on 600 screens, but it was sold out everywhere. It stayed in there and ended up doing around $10 million in the box office. And then later it ended up going to Lionsgate, ended up helping us with streaming and all the other things. And the movie just kind of took off on its own and became like this, kind of like this cult thing, man. And as my career went on, I go on to do Black and Blue and The Intruder and, you know, Fatal and all these wonderful
0: things. Oh, those are hysterical. What'd you say? Oh, those are hysterical. <laughs> you really found your lane, Dion, with these comedies. Black and Blue? Oh, my God. I'm dying. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: so we go up and do this stuff, man. And, and what was happy was I was, like, so happy that, Black, you know, Meet the Blacks did well. And it was so funny to me because it was, you know, it's a, it's a movie that I love watching. It's just fun to me. Uh, but everywhere I went, man, every press conference I would do for any movie I was making, people would say, hey, man, are you going to make another Meet the Blacks? And I would always be like, "Damn, this is crazy! People like have found this film." And um, one day I was sitting at home watching Stars or whatever, and they had like a Meet the Blacks marathon on Stars. It was just like running all day. And I re- re- called somebody and was like, "Hey, have you guys been seeing like Meet the Blacks?" It's not only is on, they was like, "No man, it's on Stars. It's on BET. It's on like people love this film." And uh, finally, I was like, well, we got to do another one. And that was a couple years ago. And we got the group together and we called everybody and I called you and said, let's do it again. And we did it.
0: Well, this is what I like. Meet, well, the house next door, meet the blacks too. Um, with the first one, you know, what I liked was there, was there was just a bunch of comedians and comedians. We always talk about when we're with each other, man, if we could just get a bunch of us together and put our <laughs> egos aside yeah, and just collaborate there it's it's nothing a writer can write like just getting comedians together and just letting the magic happen in front of you and now with meet the blacks too i mean when cat's locked in he's a force of nature when he's locked in this movie he was so locked in it's even about like what he's saying it's just his presence on screen you can't take your eyes off of it
1: yeah, I, you know what I, I mean. Just I, in the trailers I'm
0: looking at, I'm going, oh, he's so, so locked in.
1: Yeah, this is, you know, man, you know, when you think about this film and just the just the zeitgeist of what we're talking about, what is crazy about the movie is, you know, first of all, the first movie when you're talking about shooting something for ten and twelve days as a filmmaker, you don't have any time to to, to really do your craft as a director. You're just kind of making it happen uh, for you guys as actors and comedians and and also legendary performers. You guys only have a certain amount of time to do what you do. Uh, when we came around for this one, I was intentional in terms of shooting the movie. I wanted to make this film, so I was able to actually dive into as a filmmaker and and do what I needed to do and create a real world for you guys to be in, but. What was a blessing, man, was when we were able to get Cat and, and Mike was fine with that, you were fine with that. You know, everybody was like, everybody embraced everybody because we knew we were making a really fun film. But when you think about Cat's performance, man, like, he never broke character. And that's what's so exciting about the movie is the fact that he is very talented. He has won an Emmy, you know what I mean? And to watch him on screen play the heavy in the movie where he is really playing a vampire and every element of him is that Dr. Mama Walde character. You're like, yo, this is insane. And, and because he's that good, he allows Gary and Mike and, and, and Duval and Michael Blackson and everybody else to play off of him to have that much bigger performance. If he wasn't realistic, it wouldn't work. Do you know what I mean? So I just, I want to, I agree with you 100%, man. When you say locked in, you remember like this dude was coming to set on days he wasn't working in character, hanging out with us. And I just, you know, I tell Cat every time I talk to him that I'm just blessed to know him. I'm happy to have had an opportunity to shoot him. And uh historically, man, I'm happy that as a filmmaker, I got to see him do his thing and be a be a part of a film that he has made.
0: Yeah. I uh, I remember when we did the um, we did the table read, for it, and uh, you gave like like classic Dion Taylor, give a classic motivational speech before we got going, and I it always cracks me up when I'm in the room, and I get I'm always a part of the pro black talk, <laughs> <laughs> when you say to get all these black comedians together, and they everybody says we're so divided, but we're coming together for this, and I'm just sitting there going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you always go. And you too, Gary. <laughs> no, but but Gary is Gary. You
1: you gotta. You are you are part of this, Gary. And you know, I you know I've known you for a long time, man. And you know, you have been part of the culture, you know whether you like it or not. Since you know, since we you know since we've been doing this, man. I mean, you have been a household name in the black household for for eons. Now, when we talk about making a movie like this, it is important. Uh, It's important for every reason in the world. It's important because we don't ever get to do this. It's important because we can only probably name two or three movies where we all have come together to do a movie. And, you know, we think of Harlem Nights. We think of, you know, some of the stuff that The Wayans has done. But, you know, for this era, for this culture, for this moment, for this time, the House Next Door is it. You know, although it's an independent, very little movie, we successfully did it. You know, I think when you think about Friday, Friday was an incubator for this. But those, those stars were not stars when they made Friday. They became stars by being a part of that film film. And normally, when 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 these stars become iconic and giant, they don't come back and work together again. So being able to take Mike Epps, who I think is just, you know, one of the greatest to me, Cat Williams, who is one of the greatest, Gary Owens, who's one of the greatest, you know what I mean? And and place all you guys in one world, Duval, like I mean. Danny, just put everybody in one world. Like to me, I'm going like, yo, this is, this is insane. And, uh, to see you guys all work together and show up for each other. And we have to remember, like a lot of times people say, oh man, like, you know, how did you do that? Like, what, what did you, you know? And I said, man, I'm in the energy business, (laughs) right? Like sometimes it's not about film when you're talking about energies, how are people, what are their energies when they're on set? right? And we have to also remember comedy, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, this is my take. Comedy, you guys are gladiators, right? Like y'all, y'all, you know, y'all like, it's like an old karate movie. Y'all show up to a city and your whole job as a solo karate expert is to knock out whoever's on, who's ever in front of you. So you guys being trained that way, it's it's a different muscle when I say, hey, all y'all get together let's all play. Because y'all are so used to like Taking it, You know what I mean? Like, yo, I got to win the show. I got to win the night. I got to win the audience. I got to win the... So, it's you know, if you play singles tennis all the time, then I'm like, yo, come on, let's play couples. Most times it's kind of like, well, how do I work with someone else? And I think that that's what was great about The House Next Door is that everybody left their ego at the door. Everybody left their legendary tag at the door. And we just all kind of came in and, and played, man. And for that, I'm, I'm most grateful because I still have yet been able to see even though we did this movie a couple years ago, I still haven't seen this eclectic group of talent get to do anything else.
0: When you say something like that, it's like, I remember I had uh, Ely on the podcast, right? Yeah. And I even asked him, I was like, yo, do you prefer working with like a dramatic actor or a comedian? And he goes, comedians, he goes the night before, he goes, I'm always like sweating a little bit. Cause he goes, you guys are, comedians are fearless when it comes to film, like an actor is going to stick to the lines and do what the director asked him to do. Comedians, he goes, you guys are always like trying something different and you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. He goes, so when we're doing like, when we shall like think like a man, he goes, whenever you and Kev was in the scene, I, he, he was like, Jesus Christ, what are they going to say? Cause you don't see it coming. Right. So here you are doing comedies with nothing but comedians. Cause I remember the first uh, Meet the Blacks I was so off script. You was like, Gary, I need one take with the lines. I go, oh, sorry. He had to be, just, yeah. At one point, you was like, just go. Ring the doorbell and go. And I just kept going. So and funny. then we did another take. And then by the third take, you go, Gary, I need one with my lines. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but but Gary, it's great because that's why you're there. If you're a confident if you're a confident director and you're a confident filmmaker, a confident creator, you have confidence in who you're bringing to work with you. You're my partner on the movie. You're not I'm not a director and you're an actor. Like we come together and I have you there because of what you have done, your your talent. So, I can't write for you. So, part of the the idea is to and for me is to get you in a world where well, you could be as great as you possibly can. And for me to find out what's making me laugh, what are you doing outside of the words that I've written that makes sense? Now, the other part of my job is to make sure that we're getting the narrative, right? So you can't you can't you can't come in and just change the narrative now. Like all of a sudden, like it's like, oh, it's not a purge movie no more. It's a it's a karate movie. And I'm like, no, it's a purge movie. So part of my job as a filmmaker is to also make sure that I'm keeping you on track, but at the same time. I'm allowing you the space to do what you do. What you can't do and what I, I you know, I, I, I like to see who's written for Eddie Murphy. I like to see who's written for, you know, Mike Epps in the past, or for Gary, or for Kat. Like, I, I doubt all the, I, I'm sure all those words are on the ground somewhere. You know what I mean? Because you guys are so great, man. Like,
0: that's part of the energy is to just let you go. Do you find it harder to, Not, I don't want to say harder, but... I'll just ask this. What's the biggest difference between directing a dramatic movie and a comedy movie?
1: Um, you know what? Here's what's, gr- here's what's great, man. Um, so for me, Gary, you know, I'm probably one of the only black filmmakers that jump into different genres of film successfully. I've, that, that I've built my career that way. Now, starting out, I was a damn fool, what are you doing? You didn't lost your mind. You can't make a comedy movie. You can't make a horror film. You gotta do one kind of movie, right? I, I took that chance, man, and I and I allowed those things to happen to me in terms of people beating me up and telling me I'm not focused on what I wanted to be focused on early so that I could get to where I am now. I would always rebuttal that was, to my rebuttal to that would always be, do you know, who Steven Spielberg is. And they'd be like, yeah. And I said, okay, well then you would know that he made A Color Purple, E.T. and Jaws, and then no one questioned anything about what movie he was making. So now as I have a rhythm, the difference between the drama and the comedy, dramas are much easier than comedies because dramas are about physicality in terms of how we feel, what's the tone, What's the energy? What am I, what could you relate to? Everyone understands pain. Comedy is timing. Comedy is like, you can't do a joke every time. So it's it's three steps to me, bop, 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 joke, Bop, 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 joke. Now hold a little bit, now give them that. Now you're playing with the audience. Comedy is most like horror to me, not drama. And because horror, and comedy are dealing with audience reaction directly. Can I make you scared? Can I make you laugh? Can I make you cover your eyes? Do you wanna know what's around the corner? Do you not wanna know? And comedy is the same thing. Did I make you laugh just now? Am I setting you up properly for a joke? What's around the corner? Is that gonna be funny? Is it not? So you're kinda dealing with how people react. And that's a much harder muscle to train than to me than drama.
0: My next question is, You've used me in two films and Joseph Sakura now in two films. <laughs> so, when are you going to use me and Joseph Sakura together? Because I think that's what the world's waiting on. <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting on us to be on camera on something. <laughs> <laughs> Do we look that much alike Man, when you working I with know, us?
1: I don't know what the hell is happening, but you. And Joseph Sikora, man, but please don't ever let it stop, man, because it's funny as hell, man. I don't know how y'all look alike. I don't know what has happened, how both of you are in the same universe, but it's great. But, yes, I will tell you this. I know Joe is Tommy, and, and, and it would be great to have some type of comedy or something, man, around where you guys are brothers. I know that would be hilarious. What people don't know about Joe Sikora is this. He is... An amazing chameleon when it comes to acting. Uh, I've had a, I've had a chance to play you know play with him in film twice now, but actually actually yes twice now. But to watch him in something like The Intruder, where he plays off of Michael Ealy, he's kind of like the just the cool friend that works. But then to flip him and drop him into a very very dark horror film like. Don't Fear, which stars Joe, uh, T.I., Annie, Terrence J., King, Batch. Like, to watch him in a movie like that, he's unrecognizable. Uh, I can't wait for people to see what he's done in this film. His hair is different. His glasses are different. He's different. And then you think about him in Ozark, and you're like, okay, well, that's a completely different character. And then you see him in Power, and you're like, so he's, I think he's right on the edge of being, one of those guys that, you know, won't return my call in another year.
0: Well, when I saw The Intruder, I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on right here because I was still in Tommy mode. So when Dennis Quaid had him at the end of the driveway, I was like, oh, this this movie's <laughs> over. Tommy's going to kill Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid don't kill Tommy. Right. I was like, who's
1: right. this puss? Right. That's funny because the whole audience, I remember going on like the tour for uh, – the tour for the intruder and everywhere we go, you know, we hit all the cities, man, all the urban cities and everybody was like, oh yeah, Tommy finna let loose. You know what I mean, right. then, then Dennis Quaid, you know, does what he does and people like, you killed Tommy. And I'm like, yeah, well this is part of the like he can't be Tommy all the time, but yeah, that's funny as hell.
0: That's, especially in the black community, that iconic character yes. is gonna be with him the rest of his life. Forever. They Forever. always expect, especially black women are gonna expect him to be Tommy. All every, every time. time.
1: All the time. All the time. But look, anytime you get, anytime you get, and shout out to 50 Cent, man. Big shout out to 50 Cent, man. Amazing work, brother. Everything you building out there. Uh, but yeah, anytime you could create a show, man, look, Isaac is still Isaac from the love boat. Like, yep. <laughs> right? Like, you just, Urkel's still Urkel. Right. Urkel. White. <laughs> that's just what it is, man. So Tommy going to always be Tommy. Ghost going to always be Ghost. And that's just what it's going to be. And that's, and, and, I remember every time i be, you know, somewhere with Joe, people like, oh, Tommy! Even Snoop. Snoop, I Facetime Snoop because I had Joe at the house.
0: Oh, shit, Tommy over there. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he's just Tommy. I didn't watch Power till season three because I, I kept getting stopped by the, the young kids that didn't know me, like teenagers. But, oh, that's Tommy. I was like, what? what? Who is this Tommy dude? Who is Tommy? <laughs> like, everywhere I went. That's how... That's how me and Joe got to know each other. We start DMing each other like, yo, he's like, people keep telling me, keep, Joe be like, keep, people keep telling him how funny he is. And people kept telling me like, can't be, he killed that dude. I said, I ain't kill nobody. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> 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 no, but y'all, we definitely got to get y'all together. As a matter of fact, man, I'm going to ask, I'm going to try my hardest. Now let, let's just go on record. I'm going to try my hardest to get him to the red carpet premiere of The House Next Door so we could actually have you guys stand next to each other and take a picture. I can't wait to do that.
0: He can just be me. Yeah, he can just
1: come for I, you. That's funny as hell.
0: I'll just, I'll go in and watch the movie. He can take all the pictures. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know how you hold him, Gary Owen? And just have him walk up. Right, they go evil Gary Owen. That's what evil, uh, psycho Gary. Yeah. Now you're doing a it just got announced you're doing a movie of 50 cent coming up right
1: yeah so we got a couple really cool things coming up man um the 50 cent movie is 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 a passion project of mine uh, it's called free agents uh the movie is about second string NFL players that rob banks uh during the season and uh, it's a project I've been developing for about nine years now man and um, I'm really excited about it so 50 cent plays the lead character's name is Rush, Rush Daniels. And uh, he's a, like a 14 year old, 14 year NFL vet, uh, probably made around $150 million playing. lost all the money due to bad management, money manager took all the money. So now he's just kind of like a shell of himself playing for the last year on his contract. And he's like looking at the league, like, yo, this is crazy, man. Like I didn't dedicated my life to this. I didn't left it all on the field. My knees is bad. Got a little bit of CTE going on, and he's looking at the league going like they didn't make billions of dollars off me, and I don't have a dollar. And uh, he sets the stage man with a group of other players where they like yo let what the last people in the world that would suspect us robbing banks as professional football players. You know it's a wide open game for us. So that's what the movie's about. I'm really excited. Uh, Dante Spinotti who shot Heat. Uh, is shooting this film with me and uh, we're getting ready to shoot end of the summer, man. So I'm really excited about that. And then I'm going to roll out of that film and uh, I'll be doing John Lewis, uh, which is, you know, obviously one of the most iconic civil rights uh, activists we've ever had in our lives, man. It's a very, very special movie for me. I'll be shutting down everything I'm doing and focusing on that for a year, um, which I think is going to be just Something that'll be around past past my life expectancy when I'm done with it.
0: Did you write both these movies, or now you're getting calls to just direct? Because all the movies we talked about the, that up to this point, you wrote those movies, right? You're not yeah. just directed; you wrote them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 writing John Lewis. Uh, I wrote Free Agents. Um, I've you know obviously I'm writing partners on these films, but I found that you know some of these stories because of the world that I come from personally, that it needs my touch uh, in terms of me as a storyteller. So that's why I tend to write. Now I do have projects that I have not written uh, that we're getting ready to do. I have a, a really incredible Gothic horror film that's been written by Jeffrey Fletcher, uh, who won an Oscar for Precious. Uh, I have another movie that I'm working on with Peter Iliff, um, who wrote Point Break. But yeah, some of the movies that I touch, man, that are like very special to me, um, That that, you know, the essence of it is my DNA. Like I have to get in those movies and write. Uh, And that's that's been a blessing, man, because before I used to be like, oh man, I'll just, you know, I'll let someone else write and then I'll do it. But then what I found was when I get on script, when I get on set and we start shooting the film, it don't have that, like I'm changing it because it doesn't have that thing that I'm looking for. And so I just decided that I would be the person to start writing my own stuff.
0: So outside of entertainment, Roxanne, your wife is also your producing partner. That's right. Where'd you guys meet? We met at Burger King. <laughs> In Sacramento? What? In Sacramento? What? We met at Burger King. <laughs> He's like, You want it your way, baby?
1: Yeah, you do fries come with that shake? No, I, I um yeah. I met her Looking for a whopper baby girl. We were young, man, and I was just kinda getting into Sacramento and I had came out here for a minute and then left. And um when I came back to California, she had just moved to Sacramento from Baltimore. And um, we Roxanne's just- Roxanne's
0: a Baltimore chick?
1: Yeah, right, she's Baltimore girl, man. We'll so,
0: her,
1: ran into her, ended up being friends with her first. And, you know, we just kind of became really, really close friends for a long time. And she had her life, I had my life. You know, I was playing ball, she was doing what she was doing. And it just kind of stayed that way, man. and. I ended up marrying my best friend and, um, that's been a blessing, man. Like she's been, she's been everything to me. Um, I mean, the only reason that I'm able to do what I do now is because I have her, you know, I'm the, I'm the dumbest person on earth when it comes to like trying to figure out all the paper and it is and that. And she's the best on earth when it comes to doing all that stuff. So we made a really, really good, uh, really, really good, business decision to become business partners. And uh, it's been great, man, because she she doesn't overstep and I don't overstep. And we're able to actually make things creatively. And, you know, we're on a movie set. We're not husband and wife. We're producer and director. And that's what's great. And, you know, obviously because of our background, our kids are involved in everything we do. So I must have my kids on set with me. I must have my kids on the airplane with me like at all times. Because part of what I realized a long time ago was... You only have so much time and it's only, you know, the, the seesaw of this thing is if you give the industry this much, something's going to go lacking. So, and I've always, we've always made a commitment that we would always give our family the most attention and the most energy and we would view our creative world as art. So if they can't be a part of it, then I'm not doing it. Uh, cause I refuse to be anywhere for eight, nine, 10 months and, you know, not be around my kids, man. So every movie I've made, my kids have been with me
0: Now. I see, I, I, you got to help me out here with, with the investors with movies and stuff. I see Ephraim Salam, yep, former NFL offensive lineman. And I'll tell you how I met Ephraim <laughs> was and he was playing in Denver. He did a celebrity weekend. I was there. And uh, that's where I met. That was like, God, 2003? I was in the limousine like with that. you in
1: 2003 with Ephraim. That's right.
0: That was when I met him. And then uh and then when I saw him on the sets, I guess you guys met in college or high school?
1: No, we when I first came I, again, Ephraim had came from uh from LA, Sacramento was like a melting pot. And uh, I met Ephraim like right when I got out here. And Ephraim ends up living with me. That's why we that's how we became brothers. Like his really? mom was doing college at the time. My mom was kinda like at the house working jobs and you know, the, the same old story with people are kind of like in and out of lives. And my mom just kind of grabbed him, brought him in. And next thing I know, Ephraim became my brother, man. So we both went to high school together. Both went to college together. And, you know, obviously he had a beautiful career, man. He played for Denver, went to the Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons. And one of the most creative people I know is Ephraim in terms of, now he's writing, which is like incredible. Now he's writing think he's writing on this third T V show now. Uh is getting ready to be one of the executive producers on the on the free agents movie, which is fantastic. And uh yeah, man, we we are still just as close as we've always been. And uh we both have the same kind of like the same DNA in terms of like just wanting to be successful, man, but do it with our families. And I will tell you this, he is a gigantic Gary fan. Uh you know, for you know this. Like <laughs> Gary is he, Gary can do no
0: wrong with Ephraim. Well, look, Ephraim knows talent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right. Ephraim knows talent. That's why he loves me.
0: He knows talent. Yeah. I, and I also see, like, when we shot. Uh, uh, I didn't see Matt Barnes on the first Meet the Blacks. I don't know if he was an investor or associate, but he was no. on set for The yes. House Next Door.
1: Yeah. So Matt came around on the second one. Matt also a Sacramento kid. It's crazy. Yeah. This is crazy, man. So, so Matt, you know, obviously NBA, came from SAC, grew up like around him when he was – I'm older than Matt, but I remember playing ball around him, with him. Eventually, Matt's now kind of getting into the film business. And a couple years ago, you know, we us being friends, I was like, man, you should come down and get involved with us. And uh, Matt came on board as an EP. And what he was able to do, which I thought was fantastic, was Matt brought Rick Ross. He brought like product placement. Uh, him and Polly, who's a really good friend of mine, they all got involved, in... you know, I, mean, I don't know if you remember, Steven Jackson was on set. It was just, it was just all this, the whole, all the smoke team was there, but it was great yeah. because just, just a bunch of young black dreamers all coming together to do something great, man. And and you know, I slow down when I say that to you because. This is rare. It's rare that we have opportunities. to, Number one, make movies. Period. Just any any movie. But number two, when you could find, when you could find a world where people could be in sync and do it. Gary and you're on set. I'm on set. Mike Epps is on set. Matt Barnes is on set. Rick Ross is on set. That's like that's like man. I look. I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff yesterday, and I'm going like, damn man, this was like. I don't know if you could if you could do that again. You know what I mean? Like it's just and then when you think about the year we just had, man, with the pandemic and COVID and you know the, the fact that a lot of people didn't make it to the other side, man. You know, I look at some of the stuff from the first Meet the Blacks and realize, like, damn, man, like Charlie Murphy, you know, like he was on set, popping jokes and 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 wrestling with Mike Tyson and you know and yelling at me and having a good time and so I don't take any of this for granted, man. So I'm just blessed. Uh, I'm just blessed, man, to be a vessel for God and to be able to kind of do what I do, man, and connect people. And I'm just blessed that I don't have no ego. I, you know, I just want us to win. Period. So I think that Matt Barnes, Ephraim, Roxanne, you know what I mean, the whole team that put Meet the Blacks together, and even you. Like I remember, you only had like two days that you could give, and you flew up and, and gave those two days, man. I was able to write that character for you and bring you back in. So now on part three, we got to know, we get to make a part three, man. We got to like, you got to be, you got to come in behind a whole movie now. Can I walk? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We don't want you I, like- I think you should be a shotgun, toting, wheelchair rolling,
0: badass. <laughs> now, outside of film, I think the la- no no I think the last time I saw you in person was at the um, the Black Lives Matter march in Sacramento.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. That yeah. you
0: helped organize and I don't know if I I think I texted you cuz I was I was going to be happened to be driving through Sac that day and no, I was coming in the next day so I came in a day early and was able to go and it was like 50,000 I, I I didn't know how big it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be 50,000 people at a Black Lives Matter march. That was the biggest march I ever been to in my life. How did you organize that with the government officials? Then you had the owner of the Kings there and all the ex all the ex Sacramento Kings was there. I think just about all of them was there. How did you organize that on such a short notice, too?
1: Man, I don't I don't know, man. You know, I think um when I seen when I seen George Floyd get killed, man, um like everybody else, it was unreal. It was it was unreal when I watched that for for ten minutes, you know, the length of an NBA quarter. Watch this man scream and say he's seen his he could see his mama and praying and but I, it just hurt me, man. And uh I remember like that day, the next day, I remember being like, what can I do? I think everybody was kind of like, what can we do? You know what I mean? And, and I was like the night before I, I went out, like I was, I went out on the streets and was walking up and down the streets with people just trying to figure out what, damn, how mad, uh, how we mad, we angry. And, uh, the next morning I was like, I got to organize. I got to organize a march. And in 48 hours, man, uh, I picked up the phone. I I called Bobby Jackson One of my brothers, man, I was like, Bobby, can you come march? He was like, man, I'm there. And then I called uh, a local guy at the news named Marcus Allen out here who's on on television. I said, I'm doing a march. And uh, before I know it, man, we made a flyer on the computer, sent the flyer out. I called everybody I could call. You were one of those calls. I sent you the flyer. I said, man, if you're around, come out. And three days later, man, 63,000 people showed up. Oh, 63. 63,000 people, the big, largest march in the history of the Capitol showed up on that day. And I remember getting on the news saying, yo, because it was some people that was tearing up shit at the time. And I was like, we're not tearing up nothing. We coming to educate ourselves on what we need to do for legislation for this march. And uh, I put the word out, man. I remember I went to like into the into the streets, you know. Back to the communities I came from in Sacramento. I got all the OGs, like, yo, we don't want no violence. We want everybody to attend, but we we not any knucklehead coming, we finna eliminate that. And uh they took care of that. And sixty-three thousand people came, not one arrest, not not one incident. And we got the chief of police down here, because if you don't remember, Stefan Clark got killed here, got shot over twenty times out here, and none of the cops were arrested. So That march meant more to me than anything I've ever done. And uh, it was successful and it kickstarted me, man, with our whole Be Woke campaign, which I go on to march, you know, for the rest of the year, and we end up getting almost 800,000 people registered to vote after that. And uh, I have never stopped the philanthropy or the activism that I've been doing. And um, it's one of the many reasons why I'm doing the John Lewis movie next, Um, because some things are just greater than us, man. Uh, When we really pull it back, Gary, and we think about what are we doing with our time? What are we doing for our families? Like, don't nothing really matter no more, man, except if if you really are truly building a pyramid for somebody else to see and somebody else to walk in when you're not here no more. So I feel like philanthropy and activism is that for me, and then I feel like the film is secondary to that. Like, if I can do films that got a message in them or I could put a little bit of the medicine into the, you know into the kool-aid and you know i'm doing what i'm supposed to do
0: well i mean the more films you do and the more people get to know your name and the people you're working with it gives you a bigger platform yes to do things like that yes you know me being like you said amongst the culture i think as a white guy i have a more um open aspect because i see people in my family that they don't think anything's wrong. They think everybody's overreacted. Right. And I just always try to get them. I said, you guys got to have empathy and not everybody has your experience. And I was talking to Ryan Davis, you know, who Ryan Davis is a comedian. He's a comedian. And I had him on and we was talking about this subject. And he said, um, he made he's so smart. He made the most sense. He was just like, you know, when you're dealing with middle-class and upper-class white America, they don't want their life interrupted because it's going smooth. So they don't want to, you know, in their world, yeah, everything's great. But they're like, hey, hey, don't interrupt my world. Don't make me uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable. Because that really is where the problem is. And I didn't realize until he said, I go, oh, it's exactly how a lot of people in my family are. I was like, they're comfortable and we're disrupting that by trying to open our eyes to things. Um, So I think for for me, I've always like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an expert police officer, military police, right. but still I was a cop in the Navy. So I, I hated arresting people cause I lived on the base with everybody. <laughs> so I knew everybody. So if, if you was drunk, I'd, I'd park your car and drive you back to the barracks. Right. You're my boy. I'm not trying to mess your life up. Now I could, right? but I think that, that in there in lies. The problem is <clears throat> a lot of the cops, they're on patrol in certain areas. But they're not involved in that area. And then they get to go home. So their only interaction with people is when they're at their worst. Yeah. For me, I think police officers, you should, it should be an obligation to go to high school football games and high school basketball games. So you get to know the parents or grandparents or guardians of the people. And you get to know the kids as they go. Or that way, if you do come across somebody, instead of being somebody you have no clue of, you're like, dude, Derek. What right. are you doing? That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I That's agree. That's just my look on things.
1: No, I agree. I, but I, I will tell you this, man. I feel like, you know, if 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 we have to be very realistic when we have this conversation, the entire foundation is broken. So if the entire foundation is broken and you build a house on it, it's going to keep falling. No matter how how pretty it looks on the outside, no matter how dope the, the roof is, the chimney, The shit inside of it, it's gonna keep falling because the foundation is broken. And right now, what's happened is we had a moment in time which was the perfect storm. The perfect storm. For the first time in our lives, due to whatever this COVID was, the entire world shut down. That's never happened. The entire world shut down. So now, when the world shuts down and you get an incident, like George Floyd, where it's on your phone and there's no basketball game an hour later. There's no baseball game. The Bengals are not playing. There's no football. There's no concert. There was nothing but for you to see that. And for that, and then right after that was Ahmaud Arbery. Right after that was Breonna Taylor. And then you go, man, what is happening? Like, it just woke you up. And the reality is now we had a moment to where we can see very clear, like, yo, this whole thing is messed up from the bottom to the top. And, you know, systematically, I don't want to, you know, get into what I get into on your podcast, man, but systematically what ends up happening is when you think about how the system has been built for black and brown people to not be able to be successful, And they said, wow, all you got to do is get up on your, come on, man, just dust yourself off and get up. I did it. No, then I go like, okay, well, from, you know, for 400, 500 years, we were slaves. Then after coming out of slavery, which has completely altered our DNA of how we see each other, how we deal with each other as people, we don't get along. We can't work together. We fight. We argue. We hate. All of these are slave traits. But then right after that, you have Jim Crow right? Which is like, okay, you can go live over in these areas, but you can't really you know, have any rights. Then after you get rights, they, they redline us. Well, what is redlining? They said, okay, you can't buy any property or get any banking information. You can't get any access to, to uh, real estate or capital. So now that is the first birth of projects, project housing ghettos, then, right when you feel like, oh, okay, well, shit, you done did this, you done did that, you done ran line this, right? We come into a world now where it's like all that shit has been built like that, man, to where now people try to systematically figure out how to get out of this. And we're in 2021 now, we're all just still spinning from all the last 500 years of what's going on. No education, no access to capital, no access to real estate, right? And then you got pe- police officers busting into communities, and you're exactly right, Gary. They're coming in seeing people at the worst. And oh, by the way, because they don't live in them communities, they don't understand the culture or the language. We sag our pants. There's a liquor store in every corner. Weed is readily available. There's no money. People don't have access to money to pay their tags on their car, right? So all of a sudden now, everything is a violation. So yeah, it's sad, man, and it's awful, but all of this has to be rebuilt now in order for it to be better later. And I believe we're seeing people right now going like, yo, what is happening? You're either gonna be on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. And the right side of history is understanding that certain people have a lot of privileges. Certain people have to actually, like you just said, family-wise have to open their eyes and go, wow, I didn't realize all of this was happening. And that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then we have to change, you know, and political structure, man. Like, I feel like in the next couple of years there won't be any Democrat or Republicans because it's all corrupt. And we're in a place now where we just want truth. We don't care about politics no more. We just want people that care about humans,
0: period. Mhm. Like Charles Barkley said it on um, TNT.
1: What did Charles Barkley say?
0: Well, he said, <clears throat> you know, he basically was like, majority of the majority of white people are good people. Majority of black people are good people. He said, but the politicians come in and they want us to be at each other's throats. So it kind of divides them and says, we're going to help this. We're going to help you out. And then it's just more money in their pockets is what it comes down to. Yes. They, they want the division instead of people just coming together.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, all, it's all money driven. But if, if you pay attention to what's going on right now, we have bigger we have we have bigger problems to deal with than money. Money ain't it no more, man. We're talking about life. We're talking about humanity. We're talking about family. We're talking, you know, right now they got to get they got to get they got to get the world put back together, man. Like it doesn't matter if you if you flying around in jets if everybody on fire down on the earth, right? It doesn't matter if you don't have nowhere to fly to. You start talking about, you know, global warming and you get into that whole bit. So, yeah, we're starting to really realize like, yo, politics is not people that are actually, actually care about me or care about you, no matter what color you are. You know what I mean? We all know, like right now, no one needs, and I don't have to, I don't, no one in the world needs a semi-automatic a semi automatic weapon that can mow down 100 people in 30, 10 seconds. Who needs that? What do you need that for? How about that? Right. Right. Do you do you need that for anything? So no, I'm good. Right. <laughs> right. So I mean, little things like that we're starting to see, man. And, you know, also education, free health care. You know, the COVID exposed another thing to us, which was the fact that, you know, most black and brown people they're they're succumbing to COVID because we don't have any health care and because we don't have access to clean food. So now we we are the biggest with diabetes, with you know, uh, gout and <laughs> asthma and everything else you could think of. So this is killing us at an alarming rate. So we got to get that together as well. I'm sorry to start doing this on your you show, know, man.
0: Don't kick, don't kick me off, Gary. No, it's funny. But every, everything you talk about uh, in, in some form, uh, it's funny how 9% of that stuff was addressed in that TV show, The Wire. Yes. 17 yes. years ago. 17 years I mean, ago. Oh, I, by the way, I, no awards for the I watched the wire. Watched the wire. Way. Listen, I watched the wire, but I didn't absorb what was going on until COVID. And then I went back and rewatched right. every episode of the wire. Like that was like three hours a day watching. I went, All this shit they're talking about is still going on, and they're they're answering the questions. They're telling you, you know, when you see these kids going to school. And they wanna do better, but they, they have no outlet. They have no home structure. And then, wait a minute, I can get some money, I can do this. The guy's gonna help me out, but now I gotta off this guy. And you could tell deep down they didn't wanna do that. But you get sucked in when that's all you see. I mean, it's right there, the, the politics, the dirtiness of it, everything. I was like, that, that show was so ahead of its time. It sure
1: was, it sure was. And, and, and the fact that that show was never recognized
0: for anything for anything right like that's that's well, what's crazy well Idris Elba's still recognized from <laughs> 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 yeah that's how, yeah. how do they do that as a director how the hell do these English actors come in here and perfect our our dialect I don't know if the if American actors are doing that over there I just haven't seen a lot of it
1: you know what I'm gonna tell you man this business is sport if you love sports, think about acting as a sport. You could be uber talented. You could be, you know, oh, I could turn to say this, I could be sexy, I could take my shirt off. But you have to study this. You have to you have to you have to do this like you do basketball or football or skating or whatever the hell it is you do. Denzel Washington who I think is the greatest actor of all time slightly Daniel Day-Lewis is very close, but Denzel is the best actor of Mm. all time to me. Daniel Day-Lewis is there. Then Robert De Niro. I'll go down. I'll go. I'll tell you my top five later. Now, this is what Denzel does. Denzel is in a movie. He leaves a movie in the off time. He's on, he's on Broadway doing stage plays. If he's not doing that, he's teaching film. He's, he is a Jim rat. He's LeBron James. He's Michael Jordan, right? He's like Kobe. Now, a lot of these young English actors, they're studying the craft that way. And people don't realize that. When you think about Daniel Kaluuya right now, he's studying. He's going to beat you every time because he's 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 doing the drill at night while you at the club. <laughs> you at the club hanging out, you know what I mean, taking the pictures and that dude over there doing what he do. So then when it come, when you roll the balls out on the court or you turn the camera on, he finna give you that. Because not only does he have to do the English accent, but he also has to do the performance. And, you know, I was fortunate enough, man, to work with Oscar-nominated Naomi Harris, who's one of my favorite actresses of all time. I have to work with her, and I got to work with Hilary Swank, who has two Oscars. There, there, there's no difference in their work ethic. When I tell you, I'm like sitting there like, they come they ask me questions i gotta say uh, uh hold on let me let me go look at my book <laughs> you know what i mean Cause, because because they, they you know and then you can work with somebody else that don't have no questions you're like damn you ain't got no questions like you don't have no idea what you want to maybe try to do or it's so deep with them it's like hey uh was this act was this was this character like in a really bad relationship 10 years ago and you're like I guess. You know, that's what they're doing. I guess. <laughs> right? Like, that's 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 when you're good. You know what I mean? So when you when you see Kyrie Irving or you see Kobe or you see these guys, they don't just get good. They were already talented, but then the work ethic is so above board. So I feel like a lot of the English actors right now are outworking a lot of our guys. And, look, it's just friendly competition. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. We're going we gonna to figure it out. You know what I mean? But. Yo, man, I'm putting in front of the camera the dopest that I see.
0: Well, that you kind of answer my question that I ask all my guests, is one guy you haven't worked with that you want to work with. Mm. So you kind of just told me Denzel. I, man, I have a couple guys, man. Um, Denzel,
1: definitely. Um, Will Smith, definitely. Eddie Murphy, definitely. Those will be my those will be my three where I'm like, I would love to, you know, just and, and if you've the three I named are people that, you know, are legendary, but at the same time really take this game serious, man. Like there is no ifs, ands, or buts about what they're doing.
0: They're here for this. You guess who guess who let's bring up Joseph Socorro again. Guess who Joseph Sakura said? Who did Joe say, man? <laughs> He said Michael Shannon. Oh. You know who Michael that's Shannon good. is? Who else? Joseph said Michael Shannon. I was like, I had, it took me a minute because I didn't know who he was. And I looked him up and I'm like, ah, okay. He's well, incredible. That's a trained actor's response. Michael Shannon's incredible. I faked it on the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be a good one. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck? Who the fuck is, fuck Michael, is Michael Shannon? Shannon? <laughs> I, as soon as I got done, I had to look it up. Like, oh Life. yo, <laughs> I played it off though. I told Joe, like, oh good one. I didn't see that one coming. I was lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, I can see that Joe. I can yeah. see you and him in the movie. Who the fuck's Michael Shannon? Yeah, who's <laughs> hey, Google Michael Shannon. Who the hell is that?
1: I used to get Michael Shannon confused. When I look- I used to get Michael Shannon confused with the dude in Men in Black that was like had the worms coming out his mouth.
0: You know what I'm talking about? You talking about um, uh, 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 the guy from Full Metal Jacket. Um,
1: ugh, That's not Vincent him. Vincent
0: D'Onofrio.
1: That's not him. Do you, do you know, remember in Men in Black, the dude, like he was the bug, he was turning into the bugs, he had the flies and stuff coming out of his mouth?
0: Huh? That was Vincent D'Onofrio, right? Is, I don't know who it that is. That was Vincent. Yeah, that, I th- I'm 90% positive that was Vincent Dion Forio from Full Metal Jacket.
1: I don't think that's him, but we got to look him up. But I thought that was Michael Shannon for a whole bunch of years. Then I was like, that's not Michael Shannon.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of like people thought I was Tommy. They right. I still do. I still got 10-year-olds all over the country thinking I'm Tommy. So. <laughs> all right, yeah, I want to hold you up too longer. Um. Uh anything else you want to pump obviously we got the house next door aka meet the blacks two out now uh 50 cent movie coming up free agents the john lewis story coming up anything with the don't you hate this though i just ain't off have three movies like that's not enough right w- what else
1: though <laughs> <laughs> yeah i <ain't> got no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no that's enough man i would tell you this man like we need everybody to really go to the theater and support the house next door. It's important man and it's also legendary for us to support that based on the fact that when I say Gary Owens, Mike Epps, Cat Williams, Michael Blackson, Little Duvall, Danny Trejo, Snoop Dogg, Rick Ross, right? Brisha Webb, Zulai Hino, uh, King Batch, Haha ha Davis. When I say All these people came to play ball independently and oh, by the way, the movie is also being released independently by a black owned production company. I say that is one of the things that we need to support and get behind because we have our own franchise and we need people to show up just like they would show up for a studio movie this time. So the house next door June 11th in theaters everywhere starring the cast I just told you about, but more importantly, it's the funniest movie of the year, and we all need to laugh after all the shit we have been through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't even seen it yet. I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting till the premiere. I haven't even seen it yet. I'm waiting.
1: So, you going to love it, man. You're going to have a good time,
0: too. So, I don't know. Hey, thanks for giving me a hot wife. Because <laughs> I... I knew who Jenna Frooms was. Yeah. But when I tell you everybody hit me up like, "Yo!" Cuz I posted like some on Instagram when we were filming. Yeah. And I didn't know the level of thirst for her that was out there from yeah, just yeah, my they, friends. Right. Yo. No. They, yeah, they
1: thirsty. Where you ain't thirsty for that. Yeah. Hold
0: on. Like she was at the crib. Right, right. Yeah, I'm going to stop by. Dude, I'm not home.
1: <laughs> right right yeah she was great man she was great for that part too i can't wait for her to see what she did because she's actually funny as hell in the movie too
0: yeah 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 all right brother well t- uh tell the family I said hello good luck in the new house in sacramento
1: right right gee <laughs> i appreciate you man love you and thank you and i'll see you at the premiere man